Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now here's this week's message from Hollyview Church. Guest speaker Dan Abbott continues our study in the book of Psalms. He is in Psalm 139. My name is Dan Abbott. I am a member here at Hollyview, and every so often I get an opportunity to be able to bring the message. And so this morning we are going to be taking a look at Psalm 139. And so if you have your Bibles and you are able, I would ask that you would stand with me as we read through Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the, of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. O oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me! They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this psalm, Lord. We want to thank you, God, that you are always with us. Lord, that you are in this place right now, that you know each one of our hearts, you know each person here, Lord, everything that's going on in our lives, Father. And that you want us to acknowledge your presence here today, Lord. And we just want to be, we want to praise you and thank you, God, that we get to do this life with you. We get to do this life together with you. And so we want to give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. 
So over the last several months or so, God has been stirring me up to step out in faith and look for opportunities to to be praying for people. It's really been like at the forefront of my mind lately. And I started seeing more and more of these opportunities. And as more and more of these opportunities came, the more I would come up with an excuse not to follow through. You know, I would get the usual nervousness, right? I don't want somebody to think I'm a weirdo or something like that. But really, as God has been working on my heart, at a heart level, I was deciding that this particular person didn't want to hear about God. I was really judging them for how they looked, how they dressed or acted or talked. And really, I was deciding for them, rather than them making their own decisions or me trusting that God was already doing something in their lives. And so I was at the gym the other night, and I walked in, and there was one person in the gym. I have a very small gym in Welch's. There's like one machine of everything. <laughs> and so it's just me and this guy, and I go, and I'm doing my workout, and, and uh, I'm walking by him, and I'm noticing that, you know, I really think that this guy might be sweating and breathing harder than he needs to be at this moment. And I got that prompting again. Like, you should talk to him. You should maybe think about praying for him. I was like, no, I'm going to go back to my workout, right? This is my time. And then it happens again. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to talk to this guy. I'm going to see what's going on. And so I'm like, hey, man. I'm like, how you doing? And he's like, breathing heavy, sweat coming down. And he's like, you know, I'm just not feeling very good. And I was like, oh, man, what, like, what's going on? He's like, he starts telling me about all these different medical issues he's been having and how this is the first time he's been at the gym in years. And I'm like, oh boy, I don't know what's gonna, I don't know what's happening right now. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> but I know that God knows, right? And God's been working on me. And so I say, hey man, what's your name? And he says, my, my name is Jack. I said, hey Jack, I'm like, how would you feel if I prayed for you right now, right? And you should have seen his face. It, it actually like lit up. He was like, yeah, and then he kind of drew back and was like, well, if you really want to. And it was at that moment that I could see that this was no coincidence, but God had set this up, that he knew this man didn't just need prayer, but he needed some kind of confirmation that, that God was in his life, that God cared about where he was in his life, that God knew what was going on. And so I did. I prayed for him, and I told him, like, hey, I can give you a ride home. He goes, no, I'm okay. And I said, okay, I'll probably see you at the gym later. You know what? I've never seen him at the gym since that point. But it was in that moment that God met this man. And in the same way, we will see this morning through Psalm 139 that God knows everything about you. He knows where you are, and God And God has always been with you. This is true for both the believer and the non-believer. We will see that the proper response to these truths is to lay our hearts 
minds and wills down before the Lord, trusting him with all aspects of our lives. And you might be thinking, every aspect of my life, really? Or maybe one of these truths is harder to believe than the other. I can believe that God knows my heart, but there's no way that God is with me all the time. You might already be thinking of how you've responded in the past to these truths in your life. And as I was working through Psalm 139, I noticed that that most people break it down into, into four sections, six verses each. Okay, and we too will break it down by these sections. But something that I found along the way is that you can actually see a progression of thought. As in, you can see one thought leading into another thought as you continue throughout the psalm. And the progression leads you to a response. If this, this, and this is true, then I should respond in this way. I'm calling it a poetic prayer of revelation, where God is downloading some amazing truths about himself to David, and David has written them down for us. I think oftentimes we can read this psalm thinking that it is all about me or all about you, but in reality, it is all about God. The psalm does reveal our own hearts, but it also is intended to reveal God's heart. We can see our own personal story in this revelation, but I think the purpose of the psalm is to see God in our story. And this moves us to respond by laying our hearts, minds, and wills before God to entrust him with every aspect of our lives. So let's again go back and take a look at Psalm 139 when we will first see that God knows everything about you. So verses 1 through 6. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind, and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. David declares, right, that God has searched him and known him. This kind of language is referring to examining one's heart and who has an intimate knowledge. There is a a care, a gentleness, a loving in this knowing that God knows your inner workings, the depths of you, things that even go, go beyond your own comprehension of yourself. And David begins by describing the deepest parts of one's being, that God knows you deep, deep, deep down. But he wants to also convey that God not only knows you deeply down, but he also knows the inner workings, not only the inner workings of the heart and soul, but also your thoughts and actions. Every thought that comes and goes. You know, people are thought to have 6,000 thoughts a day. Yes, some of them are repetitive thoughts, but God knows every one of those thoughts. And David is here in these first four verses trying to get across that there is nothing that we do, think, or say that God doesn't already know before it happens. And if you try to think about this, 
This, how is this even possible? You kind of get like that. You kind of get stuck in your head, right? It's like that pain in your brain where you're like, I want to know, but I can't seem to fully comprehend it. It's uncomprehensible for us. And in David's words, he says, it is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. But before we move on to our, our next section, I want to talk about verse 5, because I spent a lot of time in this section. It says, you hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. And this, this verse really stopped me in my tracks, and I mainly because I've never heard the word hem, really. I don't use it in a sentence. I've known if you have ever said it to me in a sentence. And so I started getting interested, what does this word actually mean? I started looking at different translations of this particular verse, where the, the NLT uh, describes it as, as you go before me and follow me, you place your hand of blessing on my head. And I thought, wow, I'm mean, like, that sounds awesome. I think I want to go with that and be able to preach on that, right? And then I got a little further down, a little deeper, and uh, there's a couple of meanings in Hebrew. It can mean to besiege, to surround, to enclose. It's actually used in the Bible more times than any with a sense of hostility or, or takeover, as in taking over a king or a city. There are some commentators that believe that the hand is actually displaying authority rather than blessing. But then again, the word hem can also mean protection, and hand can also mean blessing. And so I'm taking all of this information in. And there's a reason why I'm telling you all this information. Because I think that God is giving every person a choice. And it comes down to our perspective of who God is. If you trust God and he comes and surrounds you, you find yourself in the safest possible place. Thinking back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2.25, where it says the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. There is a, a comfort that God knows everything about you. You don't have to pretend with him. You don't have to hide anything. And you don't have to prove anything to him. He already knows it all. Now, if you do not trust God but the truth is still the same, and you are surrounded by God, what do you think your initial response is going to be? I'm guessing it's going to be something like, I need to get out of here as quickly as possible. It reminds me again of Adam and Eve when they first sinned, and God comes looking for them, and they are now naked and ashamed. And although you can find yourself surrounded by God, he still gives a person grace to run, to flee, and try to hide. Although impossible to do, he still allows someone to try their hardest to run, to flee, to hide, always with the hope that they would realize sooner than later that this magnificent God offers himself up freely to every single person. We see this in the, in the life displayed in the life of Jesus surrounded by God, walking with God, taking on our sins and shame so that we could have a relationship with God. Hebrews 4 says, Let us then approach God's throne with grace and confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
And so this brings us to our next building block in continuing our progression of thought where we see that God always knows where we are. He knows where we are physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Verses 7 through 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. David begins with these rhetorical questions, right? Which we know the answer to be, we can neither go from his spirit nor flee from his presence because God's presence is always around us even though we try to get away from it. Then he creates a number of what's called these mirrorisms, right? To create his point. The objective of a mirrorism is to establish like the totality of something. Like even in Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Now the truth is that there is not a single place you can go without being there with, without God being there with you. God always knows where you are and nothing about you escapes God. Have you ever tried running away from God? Now before you answer that question, let me give you a good definition in our context. Running away from God is when you do not acknowledge or try to avoid the truth that he is with you. You do things, think things, say things as if God is not right there with you. You create distance between you and God. Maybe physically, at some point, you just stopped going to church and you thought, I won't have to deal with any of that stuff if I don't go back to that place. Or maybe you go to church on Sunday, but during the week you're hanging out with certain people or finding, yourselves, finding yourself in a place where you think there's no way God would ever be here. Maybe you check out online looking for anything else but God. Maybe you are physically present but emotionally and spiritually, you're in a completely different place. You, you sink into the comfort and numbing tactics from, from binge-watching shows, burying yourself in projects, drinking a little too much. I see this most often in my own life with my family. Physically there, but am I pouring into my kids, communicating with my wife? Or am I finding other ways to avoid these responsibilities or, or really these opportunities? I've seen this play out numerous times with my kids. I wake up and I say, today I'm going to be all in. And then I hear the yelling, the fighting, the stomping. And emotionally I say, I guess not today, maybe tomorrow. You know, the other night I was putting my kids down and so they go down and I'm like, I get my time. So I decide I'm gonna watch a movie. So I'm on the couch, I'm watching a movie and then once again, I hear it, there it is. My heart starts pounding, 
I know Jesse's coming down the stairs. And before he even gets a word out of his, out of his mouth, I'm like, I'm like, Jesse, it's bedtime. Go back to bed. And it's like, you know, it's with an attitude, okay? And I, and I know it, and he's like, kind of, I can see him moping up the stairs. He goes back to bed, and, I, and I'm like, no, this is not. I did something wrong here. It might be that I'm working on this psalm this week. It's probably, that's why it's convicting me. But I was like, listen, I yell up, hey, buddy, come on back downstairs. And so he comes on the couch. I hold him for a couple minutes. And then I, you know, nicely say, okay, buddy, it's bedtime. And then he goes back upstairs. And I'm like, I'm back to my time, right? Ten minutes later, here comes the footsteps, and I forget all about that amazing moment that I just had with my son. And I'm like, Jesse, it's bedtime. But wait, Daddy, did you see the sunset outside? Now listen, I know he's just, you know, saying this so he can stay up later. And I look out the window, and I see a little bit of a sunset, and I'm like, yeah, man, it's cool, you know, the sun's setting, that's great. He goes, no, you got to go outside and look. And I'm like, now i got to get up, and i got to go outside with him? But... Somehow, something just switched right there. It clicked for me. Even with this psalm, it just clicked. I said, you know what? I'm going to go out there. And guess what? I said, Jesse, let's go out to the bench because I know that's where the best place is to see the sunset. And I sat there with Jesse, and we looked at the sunset, and we talked for about 10 minutes about like the different sunsets that we've seen in our lives, how it is that he's like, we could see the sun hitting the tips of the trees, and we talked about that. I mean, it was an amazing time. And in that moment, I could really see the blessing that God gave me and gave Jesse. And it makes me think to myself, how many other opportunities am I missing out on in my life, not just with my kids, but with other people as well? And so it's, it's not a one-time deal. God, I trust you this time. I get it this time. Therefore, I will trust and get it always in every circumstance. No, each new moment, season, circumstance, experience that comes our way, we have a decision to make. Do I accept God's invitation or do I find a way to avoid him, to flee, to hide? And even when we find ourselves in the darkest of places, whether we have put ourselves there or they come upon us because of how we feel that day, the circumstances around us or how someone spoke to us, God knows where we are. God knows where you are. He is, in the, he is with us in the midst of it all, looking for us to acknowledge that not only does he intimately know us, but he is there with us. He cares about all these things. He wants to bring light into our darkness. And although he is not a God who, who pushes himself in, he is a God who is always available and waiting for us to invite him in. And David does a really pretty cool thing here in this section, transitioning from one dark place to another dark place. One dark place where we, we try to hide or flee to another dark place. Perhaps the darkest place is in our own minds. This is one of the hardest places to see God or even give over to God. How quickly a thought can come into our heads and we follow it down this road. It can be all-consuming, it can tear us down, and it can seem as if there is no hope. And God is saying in this psalm that even in these dark times, I am with you. 
Invite me in so I can shed some light for you. And then David brings us to the place of beginnings. Another dark place where we find ourselves in the hands of God as he intricately creates us in our mother's womb. A reminder of the care that he has for us. Before anybody could do anything, prove their worth, or earn his love, God was there. He doesn't just show up randomly one day, but has been with you from the beginning. And this brings us to our next building block and continuing our progression of thought where we see that God has always been with you. Verses 12 through 8, 13 through 18. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When I was yet there, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. David acknowledges that this, this is praiseworthy, okay? Praising God takes the focus off of ourselves and places it on to God. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Everything that you do, God, is wonderful. The way that you know me, the way that you surround me, the way you created me, it's not about us drawing near to God because we are wonderful, it's about drawing near to God because he is wonderful. And when you clear away all of that stuff, the walls you have tried to put up between you and God, the distance that you have created or tried to create, you get to the heart of it. And deep down, you know it to be true that God has always been with you. There is something that God puts in the depths of every person he creates that gives them a yearning for him. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that he, he has set eternity in their hearts. I believe this to be true for every single person that God has created and will create. I can picture God whispering to each child as they're about to come into this world, don't forget I am always with you. And now we move to this conclusion of, of David's revelation in verses 17 and 18. Because of this revelation, he turns to God and says, How precious are your thoughts? I know that you know all of my thoughts, God, but I want to know your thoughts. I awake and you are with me. I see now that you have always been with me. It is thought that when David says, I awake, he is, he is transitioning from this revelatory experience, seeing that God is still with him, but he also sees the reality of the world around him. The world is still in chaos. 
But both realities are true. But now with a new sense of who God is and what God is doing. We'll read verses 19 through 24. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I believe what is happening here is David has taken all of these truths about God. God knows everything. He is everywhere, and he has created everyone. There is nothing that David can hide from God. His heart is laid out before God, and he takes advantage of this moment and chooses to draw near to God rather than fleeing from God. And he gives a true confession of where his heart is and entrusts it to God. David recognizes hate and judgment in his heart. If you look at how much he uses the word hate, it is filling his, his being, his heart, his mind. It gives off the impression that it would be impossible for David to let go of it. But he is asking God to move and work in this area of his life. When we hold on to things in our heart and minds, it gets in the way of us being able to acknowledge God and his presence in our lives. It blinds us to the truth. And here David is seeing that judgment is for the Lord alone. You know, until Jesus comes back, we are, all, we are always going to wake up to the chaos of the world around us. It's been this way from the beginning, but God has made a way for us to draw near to him even in the midst of it all. He, he came into the darkness to be the light through Jesus Christ. He has given us a way to encounter God like never before, for him to not only surround us, but to be inside each person that puts their faith in Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. God's desire is for all people to come to know him. He knows them intimately. He surrounds them. He created them. Our role here and now as believers is to reach out to those who are running, who are hiding, and remind them that God is with them, that he loves them, that he cares for them, and that he knows them intimately that he has been there from the beginning and has never left them. Before they even give their lives to Jesus, God is moving and working. They don't have to clean themselves up beforehand. And I'm sure we can all agree on that for ourselves. But do we really want that for others? It's so easy to look at someone's life even as I have been doing, and think that because of what they say, do, or think, that God can't be in the picture. But God is always in the picture. He is always moving and working and extending an invitation to know him. 
You know, this, this reminded me of the 1960s and 70s during the hippie movement. And no, I was not around during the hippie movement. The church didn't know what to do with this movement. They saw people who were living life out in a way that was confusing to them, having a hard time relating to their views and ideals. But God knew. God raised people up to see a group of people through his eyes, a group of people who bore the image of God, whether they knew it or not. And because of this, there was what is known as the Jesus movement. And I bet some of you here today were actually saved through that movement. It starts with our own hearts. If you notice the first verse of Psalm, Psalm 139, where David proclaims that God searches and knows him, this happens no matter what. But what a difference when someone voluntarily entrusts God with their heart and with their mind. And as we follow our progression of thought, it leads us to a place of true confession and brings us to a posture of standing or kneeling with our arms wide open, saying to the Lord, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much, again, that you are, you are here in this place right now, that you are surrounding us, Lord, that you are in us, that you are leading us and guiding us. We thank you, Jesus, that you know us with this, this intimacy, that you want to know us, that it's the desire to know us, Lord. And even more so, God, you want, you want us to know you. And I pray, Lord, for each one of our hearts, God, that we be able to lay it before you, to lay our minds before you, our own wills and desires before you, God, and to just to seek after you and to ask you what it is that you want with our lives, how it is that we can remind others in our community about who it is that you are, the things that you have done, the things that you are doing, and the things that you will do. And so we want to give you this time, we want to give you this day, this week, this month, and we just pray, Lord, that you would continuously remind us of how it is that you are working. And we want to give you this time in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.